T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This is the Graybar Sports Open Line. Goes mid swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. Graybar, your distributor for electrical and data comm needs. Let's go. Now from Cardinal Spring Training in Jupiter, Florida, and the T.R. Hughes Homes Broadcast Center, once again, Matt Pauley. Back at it on Sports Open Line here on KMOX, hour number two getting underway from the T.R. Hughes Homes Broadcast Center in Jupiter. Uh, if you've missed anything, conversation with uh, Will Leach, our conversation with uh, St. Louis University women's basketball coach uh, Rebecca Tillett, it'll all be available for you on our podcast feed at kmox.com. Head to the uh, Sports Open Line podcast feed. You can also get that on the Odyssey app. Coming up in our next segment, we are going to be joined by Brian Walton from uh, the Cardinal Nation. Does a great job covering the Cardinals and specifically covering their prospects. And then uh, later on the hour, Nate Gatter is going to be with us just to preview what he's got coming up during a very sports-centric edition of At Your Service tonight from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock right here on KMOX. Um, Speaking of the minor leaguers, so minor league camp is officially underway. So there are... There are a lot of people here. Uh, a number of minor leaguers had already been here. Uh, in addition to the minor leaguers that had been invited to uh, big league spring training, uh, they did something called the Step Camp that was going uh, along around the same time as Major League Camp before minor league camp got underway. But now all the minor leaguers are here. So this is as busy of a place as you're going to see. It worked out well today because – most, not everybody. So I was in the Cardinals clubhouse earlier today, and uh, there were a handful of players who were uh, major league guys who are here uh, in a non WBC year. There would have been more players who were here, uh, but this is uh, this is the long trip. So the Cardinals are staying overnight uh, over on the other side of the state. They played Lakeland today, tough one uh, against the Tigers. They played in Lakeland against the Tigers uh, today, and they, they took one on the chin pretty good. They'll match up uh, against the Yankees tomorrow. The way they work that out is there's kind of, there's like four groups of players. There's the group of players that are not making that trip at all. There are the group of players that are making that trip and will be on that trip for both games. So they will stay in a hotel tonight uh, before playing the second game tomorrow. And then there's a group that was in Jupiter today and will bus to that side of the state tomorrow for the game against the Yankees. And then there was a group that went today to play the Tigers and they're busing back. So there's a lot of moving parts uh, but the point I was trying to make is it worked out well. There weren't a lot of 
because the major league team uh, was playing away from the complex and away from this general area, uh, there weren't a lot of uh, a lot of major. There wasn't a lot of major league stuff going on, so the backfields, the minor leaguers, were uh, able to use that for the most part today. It was a tough game, as we alluded to. I uh, mentioned the score earlier. They end up losing to uh, Detroit, sixteen to three. This is one of those games. You know, we get. We get so excited, and and rightfully so, but we get so excited about prospects and what they're doing during Major League Spring Training. Uh, Generally, when when we're talking about guys who are not quite ready for the big leagues, generally at some point over the course of spring training, things go a little bit haywire for them. And we saw that today uh, with a couple top 10 prospects in the organization pitching. Gordon Graceffo made the start, gave up four runs on five hits in two and two-thirds innings. Then uh, Michael McGreevy came in later on, uh, got four outs, so he went an inning and a third, allowing six runs on five hits. Those guys are really good. And those guys are going to be really good Cardinals in all likelihood, but they're not quite ready. They still need uh, some more development in the minor leagues. So those are the kind of things that uh, certainly happen during the course of spring training. Uh, and this, they weren't the only ones. The Cardinals utilized, what was it, eight pitchers? One, two, three, four, four. Yeah, eight pitchers today the Cardinals used, and five of them uh, gave up multiple runs. So the vast majority of the starters today uh, the the only players who did not give up runs today, Jake Walsh was asked to get uh, one out to uh, finish things off in the third after Gordon Graceffo's day was over. Also, uh, we saw uh, Andrew Suarez go out. Uh, he put together, uh, he, he went uh, two-thirds of an inning, gave up a hit, but in two strikeouts. Uh, that he might have been the most impressive pitcher of the day. So that's kind of where it's at again. Uh, you, you don't know what you're totally going to get when you're uh, playing these games. You're so used to playing these these games in the pod uh, that you know you don't have much travel, and this is the one time during spring that you do have a little bit of travel. So that's the way things go. There can be some benefit to that as well. You know, a lot of organizations prefer the Cactus League in Arizona to the Grapefruit League, largely because everything is right next to each other. Well, for me, I I think there is some value in spring training in getting on a bus and maybe staying at a hotel and doing that sort of thing. Now, does the value of that outweigh the value of really being able to control everything and use your uh, facility in the morning and things like that? I don't know. It's hard for me to evaluate, but I don't think there's zero value in traveling a little bit and, and doing those sort of things during spring training People are going to tell you that you get a greater value from everything being so close to each other. I can understand that argument, uh, to be sure. But that's the way things work in the Grapefruit League here in uh, Florida. So just a tough day. Tough day today for uh, the Cardinals. They're going to get back at it tomorrow. They'll match up against the uh, Yankees. And uh, we're going to see Jake Woodford on the mound. Woodford, for the most part, has been pretty impressive. You know, one of the one of the storylines of this spring is some of these starters who really don't have a role on the team and where they're going to end up. And for the most part, they're going to end up at Memphis. They're going, but, but if you pitch so well in spring that they can't do anything, but put you on the big league roster, then they need to figure out, well, what do you do? What do they do? Uh, Do they, do they go to some sort of six man rotation to make up for an extra starter? Uh, Do they find a spot in the bullpen? If they find you a spot in the bullpen, are you going to be able to pitch enough for your value to really uh, be there? Or do they just make the decision that, you know what, you you, you did, you had a really nice spring, but there's just not room for you on the big league roster. 
but they know that when when they need a starter, they're going to be able to go get somebody. And look, right right now, yeah, Adam Wainwright is probably the biggest question mark from a health standpoint, uh, and he's going to go pitch in the World Baseball Classic. Right now, everybody's healthy. It's a pretty rare thing to have all five starting pitchers ready to go and all active when opening day hits. So if that happens for the Cardinals, that's great. But if it doesn't happen, they have a Woodford, they have a Hudson, they have a a Libertor. They've got these guys who can go out and try to win essentially that six starters job. And then if somebody's not available, they will, uh, they'll move forward. We did find out, by the way, when it comes to uh, Adam Wainwright, he's going to be starting the uh, first game of the WBC uh, for Team USA. And there's going to be a lot of Cardinals fans who have a very close eye on what's going to be going on there, just considering the way things had gone for him uh, so far in Great Roof, uh, Grapefruit League play. All right, uh, we'll take a break. And when we come back, we are going to be joined by uh, Brian Walton from uh, the Cardinal Nation does a uh, fantastic job covering the Cardinals, specifically the prospect side of things. We'll find out uh, what he has seen and also get his thoughts on uh, what's going on at the big league level with young guys. I mean, you think about Jordan Walker contending for a job, Mason Wynn putting together a really, really strong spring. Tink Hens has certainly had his moments. Gordon Graceffo prior to today had his moments as well. I mean, there's just a lot of really young players to be very excited about in this Cardinals organization. So uh, we'll talk with uh, Brian about that coming up in just a moment. This is a Gray Bar Sports Open Line. We broadcast from the T.R. Hughes Homes Broadcast Center in Jupiter. And we're back with more in just a moment right here on KMOX. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s. 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Get ready for men's Billikens basketball action Thursday afternoon. It's a 10 tournament quarterfinal play. Pre-game 1247. Tip at one. Hear it here on your home for Billikens basketball. KMOX. A great bar sports open line back right here on KMOX as we continue to broadcast from the TR Hughes Homes Broadcast Center in Jupiter. We're very happy to be joined right now, indeed, in the TR Hughes Homes Broadcast Center. It's Brian Walton from the Cardinal Nation. Hey, Brian, how are you? Good, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. We're, uh, we've talked on the phone many times, but uh, we finally got the opportunity to meet each other out here uh, in Jupiter. I guess just from a general standpoint, 
What have you seen? What has uh, caught your eye out here since you've been covering the team? Well, this is a minor point, but this spring has been very dry, which is great because a lot of times we're having to dodge the rain and that adjusts schedules and it gets pitchers off. And But this year, so far, at least keep fingers crossed, things have gone well. And this year is different in the past, of course, because it's the first year of somewhat normalcy after COVID, but also the Cardinals have changed their camp structure for minor leaguers. They had what was called Step Camp, Spring Training Early Program, that began basically when the minor league, excuse me, when the major leaguers were here. And that allowed a group of about three dozen minor leaguers to be up to game speed and about Almost uh, two-thirds of them have been called over already to Major League games. So you've seen guys that aren't in camp, like an outfielder, Victor Scott, or a pitcher, Cooper Jerpy, who you know, are probably a few years away from the major leagues, but getting that opportunity to put on the white uniform, the birds on the bat, and be in the 1 o'clock game in the stadium. And this is a tremendous perk for these young players, whether they get to play in the games or not. You mentioned Victor Scott. He's a top-30 prospect great speed. He's, he grades out as, as speedy as you can get, basically. Uh, the Cardinals don't have a center fielder right now that can play in center field, so he got the opportunity not just to play in a game, but to start in center field. For a young guy like that, that opportunity is incredible. Yeah, considering a year ago, he was playing on the campus for West Virginia, and you know now he's in a major league game, you know, batting ninth in, in a starting lineup. And uh, um, there have been several other center fielders as well. Mike Antico, who stole 53 bases last season between high A and double A, has been uh, on, the, on the field as well. I think he played in the game uh, at, uh, at the Ballpark of the Palm Beaches the other day. And then on the pitching side, of course, you know, we've seen some, some great performances from some young players like Tank Hens, for example, who was drafted third in that great class of 2020 after Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn. Uh, he came in with his breaking ball, got a couple of strikeouts on Monday afternoon and just looked very impressed. Um, Oliver Marmol in the postgame, he talked with us about uh, how much in control Tank Hens is on the mound for a young man. His demeanor doesn't change. He says, I can look in the eye of a pitcher when I come to take him out, and I can see sometimes they're scared, sometimes they're frustrated, uh, sometimes they're on top of the world. He said with Tink Hens, he sees nothing phases him. You mentioned that draft class. It's really interesting because that was the year that it was only five rounds, to, and a lot of teams went with older guys, a lot of teams went with kind of more sure bet Uh, The Cardinals didn't. The Cardinals went with a lot of young guys. The Cardinals went with a lot of high-end guys, but there's no guarantee. And sure, we we haven't seen them in the big leagues yet. We'll probably see Jordan Walker sooner than later, but it looks like they made a pretty good decision in the way that they went about that. Yeah, that year, of course, that spring um, was pretty much a washout um, in terms of of play uh, because of COVID. And so the Cardinals went heavy high school, which is very unusual for them, in that these first three picks, Walker, Wynn, and Hence, were all high schoolers. And the view sort of was that, hey, they didn't get a full season in, so scouts didn't get a full look at them. And some organizations might have been a little less comfortable taking high schoolers in that environment. And so the customers, the Cardinals, excuse me, tried to zig maybe a bit when everybody else zagged, and they came up with three very, very good players. We've been watching Jordan Walker just do incredible things. He moved through the system pretty quickly. Even coming into spring, you thought it was a long shot for him to make the team, even though the team had talked about they'd give him an opportunity. feels like right now there's a, there's a pretty good shot. What's, what's your takeaway? What are your feelings on just watching the entire arc that is Jordan Walker's story? I've talked to him informally a little bit in the clubhouse, you know, not with a pad or not with a microphone, just to kind of see where he is. 
And his demeanor hasn't changed. I talked to him a little bit about playing left field, which is new to him this spring. It seems to be where Oliver Marmol and the Cardinals like him better because he had played mostly in right field, a little bit in center, both at Springfield and in the Arizona Fall League. And he says, hey, I'm still learning the reads out there, but he said, with repetition, I'll be fine. He joked that, hey, I maybe need to get some different sunglasses because of the high sun that you see down here in Florida. But he seems to be um, at home in a major league lineup. We saw the confidence placing him to move him up in the number five spot, I think it was the other day. And so, you know, Jordan Walker, at least now, and granted, it's early March. There's a lot of games to be played. But I think we've talked and plenty of others have talked about the opportunity that's created by the World Baseball Classic with, with two of the three starting outfielders away being in Tyler O'Neill and Lars Newtbar. And that means that there's game opportunities, just as there is for Mason Wynn at shortstop with Tommy Edmond away. So these young players are getting this tremendous opportunity to play much longer, much deeper into the spring, where normally they might be cut and sent to the minor league, you know, minor league fields. So what happens with Jordan Walker not only depends on what happens with Jordan Walker, but also what happens with O'Neill and his move to center, how that goes. We saw Dylan Carlson hit a home run from the left side the other day, so you know Carlson's not giving up his lineup spot. Lars Newtbar, of course, came on last year and was phenomenal. So you know, what a pleasant problem for the Cardinals to have to potentially have four starting outfielders. But they've been very clear all along that if Jordan Walker makes the team, he will be an everyday player. And if there's not a place for him to play every day, then he'll get his first experience at AAA. First experience, never played a game at AAA. So, you know, on one hand, everybody's excited. On the other hand, you've got a 20-year-old that's still relatively inexperienced. So if he slumps a little bit this spring, I don't think there would be any reason to be down on Jordan Walker if he continues to hit like he has. Well, he'll probably be in the lineup opening day. Brian Walter from the Cardinal Nation. Coming into Jupiter, I'd heard about Mason Wynn. I'd heard about the arm. Uh, I was expecting to see pretty good defensive shortstop, crazy arm, and a guy who is going to get overmatched offensively. And that's not the guy that I've seen. He has struck out very few times. He's done it. He's, he's has solid contact skills. He's coming up with, with a lot of hits. You are as locked. the ball the other way. Yeah. You know, can show, you know, great, great instincts on the bases. Uh, are you, is this what you were expecting, or are you at all surprised at where he's at offensively in big league camp? Well, he progressed at, during the course of the year. Mason Wynn started last season at um, High A Peoria and played very well there. Then it took him a little while to catch up to the pace at Double A. Then he got the opportunity to play in the Arizona Fall League, so another opportunity to play another six weeks in high-level competition. And I could see him continue to progress. Um, defensively, as you said, you know, he's probably major league ready today. I don't think there's any doubt about that. We see him a couple of times where it seems like he's holding the ball a little longer just so he can gun it over to first. But as you said, you know, he's been uh, – been, and Oliver Marmo mentioned this last night to us. He said that Mason Wynn is more developed offensively than he ever expected. And, again, it's not just hitting the ball, but it's his instincts on the bases and his whole demeanor. Is he willing to take a walk when needed so he doesn't have a lot of impatience for a young player. So, you know – Mason was not going to make the team out of spring training, but you know maybe that takes a little bit of the weight off his shoulders. Maybe it takes a little bit of the pressure off him, and he can just go out and play. So you're here. Minor league camp's going on right now. There are a lot of guys uh, on the backfields. When, when you're out there, what are, what are you really looking for? Well, it's early right now. So um, what happened on Monday was, of course, they had a lot of orientation, a lot of you know meetings and speeches, and you know getting people organized. And then they have four fields in the George Kissel quad in the back. Uh, folks are probably familiar with them. And so they split pitchers and hitters up into four groups, and they worked on fundamentals, covering bases, um, you know, taking grounders, uh, some pitchers through live batting practice. You know, basically just in drills, you know, pitchers working on covering first and game situations. Okay, first and third, one out, what do you do? 
um, rundown, you know, rundown plays. So they're going to continue to do that, the Cardinals, for the minor leaguers, for about the next 10 days. And then come the 16th or so, they'll start playing the minor league spring training games. Some games will be what's called camp days, which means Cardinals play against Cardinals. Other days they'll be playing the nearby teams, the Astros, the Marlins, uh, the Nationals, and, uh, and the Astros. So that schedule will go on through the end of the month, the minor league games. And then uh, when Major League camp breaks, they'll break a few days later. And the minor league season opener is actually, I think, April 6th. Is there any guy that maybe we don't, because we know who the top-level prospects are. We, we know who everybody's talking about. Who's the player that you kind of, everybody who covers prospects always has that guy or two that they kind of have a, uh, you know, an affinity for. Who is that, that player, those couple players that you're really keeping a close eye on that you think may develop into something? Well, I've really been remiss in all this talk about the 2020 draft and the, and the high schoolers taken to overlook Alec Burleson. Mm-hmm. Alec Burleson was the college, first college player taking that draft. And his rise through the, through the system has been phenomenal, multiple levels. And, yeah, we saw him briefly in, in the major leagues late last year. But Alec Burleson is a, is a tremendous hitter and a guy that's really in the mix for at-bats at designated hitter this year. So, you know, he's a guy that you definitely want to keep an eye on. I think um, a guy that, you know, is kind of post-hype almost is catcher Yvonne Herrera. Yvonne Herrera came up last year, didn't really show particularly well, has some more growth. And the signing of Wilson Contreras kind of puts his – long-term um, status into question. But Yvonne Herrera can still play, and like the others, still very young, 21, 22 years old. So the Cardinals have this whole group of young players who are all knocking on the door, and it's, a, you know, it's tremendous to have that. But at some point in time, guys are going to start to get blocked, and the Cardinals have that depth in players that if they need to make moves later in the season, for example, say to strengthen starting pitching or some problem area of the team, you know, they have the capital in young players that they can trade to improve the major league roster, which is something that maybe they've been a little reluctant to do in past years because of depth questions. But that depth is filling in very nicely. And, and I mostly was talking on the, on the hitting side, but on the pitching side, too, you've got Gordon Graceffo and Michael McGreevy and a, a next group of young arms that – you know, we've talked, others have talked about the potential holes on the rotation in 2024. And these guys, this is going to be a huge year for them to step up and show, can they be major league starters? And you shouldn't count out Jake Woodford, who's been tremendous. Uh, Matthew Libertor has been very good this spring. So, again, this depth is going to be exciting to watch, whether you're a prospect follower or not. Isn't it crazy? I think about Matthew Libertor, because this time last year, one of the top prospects in the organization, everybody's excited. He gets to the big league level, maybe didn't have the amount of success that he would have liked to have. There's a lot of fans who've kind of just moved on from them, and I'm, I'm a big believer in development doesn't stop because you walk into a major league clubhouse for the first time. He's the same guy that he was last year. He's still a prospect. He's still a young guy. There's still every reason to believe that he can develop into what people thought he was going to develop into this time last year. Yeah, it's interesting. Both, both Libertor and his childhood friend Nolan Gorman are kind of in the same boat, right? Mm-hmm. The, you know, just the tremendous hype and the high expectations, top two prospects in the system, childhood friends, Arizona you know, young guys. And, you know, granted, there are a lot of players, a lot of Hall of Famers who did not do well in their first year. Go back and look and see what Bob Gibson's results were his first, you know, first year as a major leaguer. So, you know, it's about maturity. It's about understanding where they fit in, understanding the holes they have in their game and, and improving on those. And certainly Matthew Libertor, you know, it was a challenge for him in that post-COVID he got moved up to AAA after coming right out of high A. He's never pitched an inning in AA, probably never will unless he's on a rehab down the road. So, you know, they kind of got a little bit challenged 
And in his case, it's maybe taken him a little while to catch up, but we've seen what he's done so far against major league hitters. And whether, you know, he's probably not going to make the rotation out of camp unless there's injuries, but, you know, will he continue to start? Looks like it. He'll probably be that de facto, I would guess, that de facto sixth guy in Memphis to be ready to step up when a rotation opening occurs. You guys do such a great job covering prospects. Cardinal Nation, uh, the CardinalNation.com, um, the, the book you put out. Just give a plug for everything you've got going because I think Cardinal fans, if you want to learn about the minor league system, if you want to learn about prospects, what you guys produce both online and in print is a great resource for fans. Yeah, we talk about what's going on now, but we also have uh, 12, 15 years of history so you can look back at prior Cardinals drafts or prior prospect lists or whatever. But uh, we have a prospect guide, 292 pages out covering the top 50, well, really about the top 60-plus prospects in the system in detail, uh, scouting reports, their histories. Uh, we have information all about the leaders of the st- and stats across the system last year. We have a history section looking back at past drafts and past Rule 5s. So 292 pages of detail, everything you ever want to know about the best players in the Cardinal system, about the system. And then we have new content on the Cardinal Nation, 365 days a year, focused on the Cardinals, original content. And our focus is on the minor leaguers, but, of course, these minor leaguers grow up, and the whole reason that they're there, the whole reason the system is there is to pr- deliver future major leaguers. So we don't stop following when they reach the majors as well. It's great to see you. Thank you so much for taking some time. All right. Thanks, Matt. We will take a break and have more in just a moment. This is Sports Open Line from Jupiter on KMOX. This is the Graybar Sports Open Line. Goes mid swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. Graybar, your distributor for electrical and data comm needs. Let's go. Now from Cardinal Spring Training in Jupiter, Florida and the D.R. Hughes Homes Broadcast Center. Once again, Matt Pauley. We're back on Sports Open Line here on KMOX. Hey, uh, I saw something on Twitter earlier today, and I thought this was cool. I retweeted it, as did a whole lot of folks. I was not unique in that. Uh, We talked about this yesterday when we uh, heard some of the audio from uh, Battlehawks coach Anthony Becht. He was asked specifically if we might see Dwayne The Rock Johnson at the Battlehawks home opener this upcoming weekend, which would be very, very, very cool. So uh, back to, if he knows he did not give it away, he said, well, if I was Dwayne Johnson, I'd be there. But then we saw the rock tweeting out today. He said, this is crazy. Our at XFL Battlehawks are finally playing their first home game this weekend in St. Louis. We're anticipating a ground over 30,000 fans. Amazing support. Thank you, XFL fans. We're building for the long haul, not one and done. So, hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe, just maybe, that is a precursor of things to come, and we are going to see Dwayne The Rock Johnson in St. Just another reason. They, they opened up another level of seats. Maybe we'll see uh, Dwayne Johnson coming up uh, on uh, this weekend for uh, the Battlehawks home opener as they come in at 2-1. That'd be pretty cool. It's it's fun to see that. It's fun, and obviously he's a... He's an owner of the league, and he's going to push positive stories in the league. But it's cool to see uh, The Rock talking about St. Louis in that kind of way. All right, uh, we'll take another quick break. And when we return, we're going to hear from Nate Gatter. He's got you for At Your Service tonight from 8 to 10. He's going to have a lot of cool stuff. I'm going to get his thoughts on uh, Missouri uh, basketball and a few other things. That's next right here on KMOX. Starting to wrap up this edition of Sports Open Line, a gray bar sports open line here on KMOX. We're broadcasting from the TR Hughes Homes Broadcast Center in Jupiter. At your service on the way next, a sports-oriented at your service tonight. And it's our guy, Nate Gatter, who's going to be uh, 
walking into the studio here in uh, just a moment or so. He joins us right now to uh, preview tonight's uh, At Your Service. Hey, Nate, how are you? I'm good, Matt. How are you? I'm good. So this is fun. This is uh, we've uh, you've been involved with us. Uh, you did a spectacular job on the the play by play with uh, City Two. You've done a lot of things. You've done Missouri, and now you're kind of stepping your foot more into the uh, the show hosting realm with us here at KMOX. Yeah, I'm just following in the footsteps of my new mentor, Matt Pauly. You, you <laughs> might have met him. You know, he since he's come to St. Louis, kind of taken the market by storm. I think a lot of the young broadcasters have realized that we, you know, if, if we can do something every day to be one percent more like Matt Pauly, that's the direction we got to be moving in. That's a scary world if he's yeah. trying to do that. Uh, wanted, wanted to get to a few things with you. First off, Missouri, we're coming up on uh, the SEC tournament. They obviously had a really, really good season. Coach Gates, not the SEC Coach of the Year, which is a, a little bit of a surprise. I always think the Coach of the Year should be the coach that leads the team that has the lowest expectations, that exceeds them by the most. And it, I, I don't see another team in the SEC that did that more than Missouri. Yeah, and it was obvious uh, on social media the other day that the players really took note. Um, I think they were frustrated about some of the player honors as well that were handed out, but uh, I, it seemed like the most frustration was was directed at the Coach of the Year um, award. And, and I think that's not a bad criteria. If you're looking for objective criteria, I think yours in terms of just the the gap, whoever has the biggest gap in a positive manner between where they were predicted in the preseason media or coaches poll and where they ended up. Um, I think it's not a bad starting place for coach of the year. If you didn't follow the season any other way and, and Missouri did have the biggest gap, although narrowly, um, you know, Vanderbilt did have a big one as well. I think Jerry Stackhouse does deserve a lot of credit in that regard, but um, you know, I, I think the manner in which they did it too, you know, they pulled out a number of close games, some of them a little bit too close. I think probably the, the regular season finale certainly uh, against Ole Miss was closer than I think Mizzou fans would have liked. Um they had some dips during the course of the season. I think that that's what stands out to me about what a good job Dennis Gates did. Not only that he infused so much talent into this roster so quickly in the offseason, and not only that he's had such a successful season overall, even without much contribution from Isaiah Mosley, who was maybe the headliner coming into the year, maybe the the 1B behind Kobe Brown at worst, um, is that they've had multiple opportunities. There have been multiple points, and we've talked about this in the past, multiple points during the course of this season where I think Mizzou fans started to say, uh-oh, <laughs> this is we've had our good run and th- the luck is running out, right? Even going back to that tough run in December when they had UCF, Illinois, Kentucky, Arkansas all in a row after, after getting crushed by Kansas, and you thought this could really go sideways in a hurry. They lost those two games in a row uh, in February to Tennessee, or rather to Auburn and, and A&M. I think the A&M game in particular was really concerning to lose at home against a team they felt they were better than. And they've turned it around again with four wins in a row. I think that, to me, the what he's done with the team mentally to keep them on the right track and what he's done with the fan base mentally, to be honest. The Mizzou fan base, the mental health of the fan base collectively is in a much better place now than it was uh, 12 months ago. When the season got started, I thought a lot of the SEC, and I thought they were going to have two, three top ten teams. I'm looking at like Alabama's really good. I know their like, national championship odds are all right. I don't, I don't believe in them as a national champion. And then I look at that next tier, Kentucky. I, I really like Tennessee. Going into the year, I thought Tennessee was the best team in the league. The Zakai Ziegler injury, obviously, I think does a lot to them, but. Uh, Texas A&M obviously having a really good year as, as, as well. But I don't know. I just – I look at this league and I see a lot of beatable teams in it, more so than I thought I would when the season got started. Yeah. It, one of the funny things 
And this is Mizzou teams pretty much across the board since they joined the SEC. And it's certainly been true of the men's and women's basketball teams. They do not play well at the SEC tournament. They just don't. The number of times that Mizzou women's basketball or Mizzou baseball have gone into SEC tournaments needing like, you know, one win just to shore up their bubble spot. Just win one game and you should be good. And they completely blow it. It it really I think it's a little bit of a complex. I think Mizzou. I don't know what to put, you know, to put my finger on it, but it, it also is. It's a little bit frustrating because even with the success Mizzou has had overall um, in football in particular since joining the SEC, I mean, I think Mizzou has been a more than respectable member, uh, especially by SEC East standards in football since joining the conference. Mizzou still a decade later hears a lot about not being a real SEC school. Um, and maybe in some ways it's just objectively true. If you compare, you know, what do athletics look like? What does the budget look like? What does the football stadium and attendance look like at Mizzou compared to your Georgias and your A&Ms and your LSUs and Alabamas? Okay, sure, whatever. In terms of success on the field, on the court, what have you, I think Mizzou teams have been respectable. I have always felt that there's a little bit more pressure, especially at an event like the SEC men's basketball tournament, where you have so many SEC fans from so many different schools represented that it's like the pressure's on us to show up and represent ourselves well. Um, And and I don't feel like Mizzou has done that um, really at any point. And and I'm optimistic about their ability to do that because of what you said, that this, this does feel, I don't want to say wide open, but more open than maybe you would have expected coming into the year. And certainly that Mizzou is in a better place relative to, to the rest of the league um, than you would have expected. I also think, to your point about like who is really the top team in the league between the injury that the Tennessee is dealing with. I, I would have been inclined to say Alabama and maybe we still are. I think when they get to the NCAA tournament in particular, I mean, that's one of the biggest sporting events in the country. It's the kind of thing that brings out a lot of casual fans and therefore brings out a lot of casual media coverage. That's how you get the hard news reporters all of a sudden are writing sports adjacent stories, yeah. right? Maybe NPR is talking about it. That's how, you know, you've crossed over into a different kind of sports event. I think that's going to bring a lot of attention to Alabama because of all the circumstances uh, around that that shooting and how, the effects of, of Brandon Miller being wrapped up in that. I would think it's going to be a very uncomfortable time to be an Alabama player or coach because of the the how bright that spotlight is going to be on them. I would be fearful about them being able to play up to the best of their potential. I'm normally not somebody who talks a lot about distractions. You know, when you're dealing with college kids, I think for the most part, they can focus on the stuff they want to focus on and and let other stuff go, especially guys who have grown up with the distractions of social media. But that's a different kind of story, and it's going to be covered in a different kind of way. And I wonder if they're in position to really take off as well. It's going to be interesting. I don't know that I would want to place a bet on which SEC team goes the longest in March Madness. I No, I, you can make an argument for Kentucky. They've been playing pretty good basketball here lately. Their pedigree is better than any other pedigree in the league. I think if I had to pick a team to go furthest right now, it would probably be Kentucky. And I always remind people about this when we get to this time of year. There's one thing you can say about Mizzou. It's Tigers don't quit, Matt. Tigers don't quit. They're going to get in there. You're going to get their backs are going to be against the wall and they don't quit. They're used to it. All right. They, they are trailing in almost every game. Mizzou does not have many easy wins. You're not going to be, a, you know, if, even if they end up playing well in the SEC tournament, play their way into a higher, you know, five to seven seed is probably their best case scenario right now. And they get a punch in the mouth early in the game from a mid-major school. They're not going to crumple because 
they're used to getting punched in the mouth. No, no kid on a Mizzou team has, hasn't been punched in the mouth by a team he's supposed to beat. Uh, Nate Gatter's with us. You're going to hear him for the next two hours after uh, we get done here tonight uh, here on KMOX. You're going to talk a fair amount about City SC. They're, they're two matches in. They've won each. The really cool night this past weekend uh, playing their, their first ever home match. You're, you're a soccer guy, fantastic soccer play-by-play guys. we all know. Uh, as a St. Louisan, what does it mean to you just to see our city really get propelled into the soccer spotlight this uh, here recently? I think it feels vindicating. Um, it's almost weird to hear city referred to as an expansion team. Obviously they are, um, but it doesn't feel the same as other MLS expansions. It's, you hear people talk about new markets being added to MLS using air quotes around new markets. Uh, Yes, this is a new market to MLS. This is not a new soccer market. This is maybe the oldest soccer market in the country. Certainly, it's the oldest soccer market anywhere west of the very East Coast. I mean, off the Eastern Seaboard, this is the oldest soccer uh, market in the country and I think has the strongest argument, at least one of the two or three strongest arguments for the soccer capital of America. It has the strongest argument for soccer capital of America among existing Major League Soccer markets. So it feels like vindication. It feels like soccer coming home and like St. Louis getting the national recognition that has long been overdue for the enormous contributions that this city has made to the to the American game on the international level and on the domestic level uh, going back generations. Uh, Taylor Twelman put it in an interesting way uh, going into the, the, the home opener this past weekend that St. Louis is a city that can claim to have professional players from St. Louis who are in their teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. There's probably not a single other market in the United States that can make that claim. So this was proof. Uh, To me, this is proof. The results are great. The two wins are great. The reception and the way the team has been treated and the way things went down on that opening night on Saturday are proof that that this is a homecoming. It's not a new market, that this is this is St. Louis's birthright, really. St. Louis has earned this. And and I think Major League, it's the rare circumstance where Major League Soccer is equally or more grateful to have gotten the new market as the new market is to have gotten Major League Soccer. Don't want to take too much away from what you're going to be doing over the next two hours. But to that end, you look back at this weekend uh, with that, with the arch madness going on, the SLU women's basketball team, they they punched their ticket to the NCAA tournament. And this weekend, uh, we've got the Battle Hawks playing their first home game, and they've opened up uh, the 300 level. The Rock was tweeting out earlier today about the 30,000 people that are going to be showing up. Like, St. Louis has taken some hits, and rightfully so, over the last couple of weeks. But at the same time, it's also, from a sports standpoint, our opportunity to shine. Yeah, I, I was actually talking to a friend of mine yesterday who – said that she was downtown to see Trevor Noah over the weekend because this was such a popping uh, weekend to be downtown with Art for Madness, with the the city game, with all everything that was going on at, at Stiefel and elsewhere, that it felt different downtown. And part of that is just a, a busy weekend and people are out and about. I feel that the ultimate goal here, it, it's a little bit unfair to put it on St. Louis City, but they have a lot more responsibility than soccer. They have, first of all, the responsibility to restore St. Louis as the well-known soccer capital of America. That's already enough pressure. On top of that, they are responsible for revitalizing downtown West, connecting the Central West End and Midtown to downtown and further 
putting even more pressure on us as a city to revitalize the downtown area in the same way we're doing right now in the downtown West, in the same way SLU did in Midtown other under Father Biondi when he was leading the university, in the same way the Central West End is the place maybe for young professionals to live in our area. I think that's possible. I think we can connect that entire corridor and I think we can transform downtown and all of these sports events are going to be a central part of that. We're going to be talking uh, to to Matt Schriebert from the uh, St. Louis Sports Commission uh, tonight, and I'm really excited to talk about that. He's going to be talking on a micro level about what impacts have we already seen from last weekend, how busy it was, the impact of the upcoming Battle Hawks home opener. Uh, but also on a broader scale, what does this mean? What can sports do for St. Louis economically, in particular downtown? Beyond that, what do you have coming up tonight? Well, we're also going to be talking to, to Charles Bohm about good old-fashioned sports on the field and what we've seen from City so far. Uh, you know, six points from six is a big deal to start, especially the maybe they were a little bit fortunate in that first game down in Austin, but that's a really good team. I mean, Austin were one of the better teams in all of Major League Soccer last year and playing in one of the better environments since they they joined the league a couple of seasons ago. I think that's a big deal. And Charlotte had a really tumultuous start, but they didn't finish last season badly. They stabilized as an organization. And I thought City were substantially the better team on Saturday night. They were fortunate in the sense that they scored off an own goal, which the irony of the first City Park goal coming from a Charlotte player is something else. On top of that, a penalty on a handball in the box. And then on top of that, another errant back pass intended for the opposing goalkeeper that set up an easy city goal. You could say, well, that's three pretty fortunate goals. And and maybe they were lucky to win 3-1. I thought they were on the front foot really the entire game. The press has been hyper effective. On the one hand, you could say, how lucky could they be to have gotten two bad passes backward from defenders that they've turned into goals in two games? On the other hand, doesn't it seem reasonable that with especially with both of them coming late on in second halves that you could say City's press with how well orchestrated it is, how disciplined it is, how committed it is, is just frustrating and tiring mentally and physically for opposing defenders to have to deal with for 90 minutes. And is it that surprising that in the final 15 minutes of the game, maybe they become a little lackadaisical in that regard and City can capitalize? We're going to let an expert answer that question. I, Charles, I think, is going to be able to take that one for us. but. I, we're going to be talking a lot about that press, I think, and, and how much what we've seen from City so far is evidence that if you have a tactical identity and a philosophical buy-in to the extent that City do from the top of the club all the way down through the dressing room, what can that do for you, even from the word go as a new club that is frankly still operating probably at a talent deficit compared to the average MLS team and certainly at an experience deficit compared to the average MLS team. Yet they have six points from six. And we're going to look ahead to what I think will be their biggest challenge so far, going to one of the toughest places to play in all of Major League Soccer Saturday night uh, in Portland, uh, a 930 Central Time kickoff. I think that's going to be a, a big test for them and, and one that I'm excited to look ahead to. He is Nate Gatter. He's the best. You're going to hear him for the next two hours doing a sports-centric version of uh, At Your Service. Nate, can't wait for it. I'm excited. Thanks, Matt. All right, so don't go anywhere. Nate's on the way next. That's going to do it for uh, this edition of a Gray Bar Sports Open Line broadcasting from the TR Hughes Homes Broadcast Center in Jupiter. Tomorrow night, we've got Countdown to Opening Day. Mike Claiborne and myself will be coming your way. We'll talk to you then right here on KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.